The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It is seven minutes past eight, and uh, we start with the forum this morning. On Monday, the public protector advocate Tuli Matonsala will kickstart the National Good Governance Week, which uh, it's all about raising awareness with regards to the need for a collective consciousness of good governance here in South Africa, understanding the importance of good governance, ensuring responsive service delivery, as well as understanding the importance of ethical leadership and integrity in state affairs. The public protector believes if everyone fully strived towards ethical governance, we would be more responsive in service, uh, service delivery and thereby contribute to the realization of the constitutional promise to the people of South Africa. Advocate Matonsela will launch the Good Governance Week with a two-day conference at the CSIR International Convention Center in Pretoria, and she joins us now to talk about this. The question we're asking, of course, is... Uh, should good governance be everyone's business? A very good morning to you, Advocate Matonsal, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us here in the studio. Good morning, Sepiso. Thank you for inviting me to the show. It is really I who is honoured by this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Good morning to the listeners. Thank you very much for taking the time. Perhaps I should start with uh, the definition of good governance. It's... It, in some people's mind, a very broad term. And uh, the context in which you use it, I believe, is even more important. For us, yes, certainly. Just in, in basic terms, good governance is, is, is about running state affairs in the manner that complies with the law, uh, is accountable and responsive to the needs of the people. And transparency, a, a big pillar of that. It is huge. Uh, it's, a hu- it's a huge pillar. And linked to transparency is accountability. Because honestly, the sovereign is the people. The people who own everything in this country, including the state and its resources, are the people in their collective selves. Mm-hmm. And they have asked a few of them to run their affairs. And it becomes important then that how the few that run affairs operate is transparent. Then we come into issues, obviously, of rule of law, human, civil, minority and property rights, that, that being upheld. Would you say broadly, what, what, what is South Africa's record in terms of that? Because if you look at some of the surveys out there in terms of the barometer for Africa, they seem to be pretty low. In some respects, we're not doing well, but let me start where we're doing well. There's the more Ibrahim governance index that is issued every year, mm-hmm. and ever since the index started, we have been number five. Uh, we have slided in some of the issues, but generally we're doing well. Because of the strong foundations in the constitution and the legal framework in South Africa. You don't get a situation, as we have seen in other countries, where people can, for example, withdraw a whole pack of money and disappear with it. So uh, the fundamentals are there with us. There are problems. And so it's the issue of ensuring that there's compliance, there's a rule of law, there's accountability, and where there's wrongdoing, there's no impunity. Now, when this conference was conceived in 2010, um, you've, you've had various um, themes to it. You've had strengthening synergies and leadership, ensuring public accountability. Last year was responsive service delivery through ethical leadership. And we'll, we'll go through some of those themes. But this year, what are we looking at? What is the theme for this year's? 
We're focusing on the link between good governance and poverty. We say good governance and poverty, two sides of the same coin, because there's lots of studies here and globally that show that where there is proper governance, where the systems are running properly, the government is better placed, firstly, to address poverty through its own programs, but secondly, to regulate the, the private sector in such a manner that you don't end up in a situation where others exploit others, and therefore there's a better opportunity for ending poverty mm -hmm. and creating a more equal society. When you first conceptualized this, did you find there was a common understanding of what good governance is? There seemed to be some synergies in understanding. There wasn't a common, common understanding in that uh, uh, everything that we thought was part of good governance was what everyone thought was part of good governance. But as we have gone through the years, we have found that each conference has brought us closer to well, each other. Where were the differences? The I think that's, that's important to understand. Where were the differences? One of the issues that we started with was the question of uh, accountability. What is, uh, what is public accountability? From our side, we were saying accountability is not just explaining yourself. We, there is accountability. If there's wrongdoing, accountability includes fixing the problem, so, which in our terms as the Public Protector South Africa, we call it remedial action, and the Human Rights Commission would call it redress. The Auditor General would call it implementation of his recommendations. In our view, it was that uh, with this accountability, there has to be an opportunity to fix the problem, um, and, and there shouldn't be impunity. The other issue that um, was uh, at the beginning, something that we needed to clarify, was what were the various roles of the different organs of state that are involved in, in governance. And the first conference was around that. What does the Auditor General do? SIU, us as the protector, the portfolio committees in Parliament, particularly those that do petitions and the public accounts ones and the ones that do public administration. It was important to us to firstly just clarify who does what and then how do we strengthen synergies. I must indicate that we're not there yet. In principle, there's an agreement that we should be bound by the principle of complementarity. Uh, we are still at a phase of looking at, on a day-to-day -day basis, beyond having MOUs with each other, how do we have a value chain that just operates seamlessly? For example, when we've done something, it moves seamlessly to the NPA if somebody has to be prosecuted. Uh, or if we haven't covered all grounds, it moves seamlessly to the hooks or the SIU, mm -hmm. etc. And how do we take over from the Auditor General after he audits and he makes certain findings? How do we investigate matters that need to be what investigated? Is, what, what do you think is at the heart of that? And I, I bring that back to uh, the conversation you and I had was a day or two ago, I think it was even yesterday, on the exchange you had in Parliament. And, uh, and it rested on uh, one, among other things, what, what governs, what the public protector does, and even the understanding. And I think one of the comments was it's too late on into democracies to still be arguing about the Constitution uh, and, uh, you know, what it lays is the foundation for? 
Right. That is true that we had that conversation. I personally am not uh, surprised that there is uh, still a, a, a conversation around what this institution has to do. The public protector is an institution of democracy is 18 years in this country and in the world the ombudsman is only 204 years. Courts have been there for hundreds of years yet we still argue about what should mm-hmm. courts do versus what should the legislature do and the executive do. So there's always that ongoing conversation when it comes to public accountability and my view is it's, it's an issue of checks and balances. Um, so, unlike the member of parliament who was concerned about 18 years we still discussing this, I wasn't concerned because I think if we discuss it, we stand a better chance of finding common ground. If we don't discuss and we operate with different assumptions, that's when we collide. But does this conversation aid or impede whether or not we should have a single agency or multi-agency approach in dealing with issues of good governance? As you say, it's not as seamless as it ought to be. No, you're absolutely right. Perhaps this com- the conversation actually may aid that, because now that we're having this conversation, we may then at, at, at some stage talk to how do we achieve that seamlessness and who does what now because we always all operate with, mm. with different assumptions for example for me I'm a member of the International Ombudsman Institute I'm the Secretary General of the Ombudsman Association of Africa so I have a sense of what's happening in Africa when I do certain things I assume that that's the understanding for example all of my colleagues when they've reported they ask someone to implement. So I do the same thing. Two, they report to Parliament on a case-by-case basis. They do an annual report, some do quarterly reports. And if they submit a report to Parliament, they get asked to come and talk to that report, a specific report. And, and then there's a discussion on that report. And then Parliament is expected to assist with remedial action. In the conversation we're having, it was... Uh, I wasn't sure whether Parliament thinks it could review my decisions, which is a no-no everywhere else in the world, is that Parliament can't review the decision of an ombudsman. And that then will obviously impact on the implementation of those recommendations. It could. Well, part of the dialogue in the Good Governance Week was always about what is the correct word is it recommendations? Is it remedial action? Because the Constitution says remedial action. Mm. So on, on Tuesday, we also engaged very briefly. What, what is the difference? Because it, it seems that we get engaging in semantics. So tell me why it's important to understand that. There's a hierarchy between remedial action and recommendation. If you, you went to a doctor and uh, you asked a doctor to help heal arthritis and the doctor gave you a remedy for arthritis, they would give you a remedy, something to put on the arthritis Mm -hmm. and heal it. Uh, But if the doctor gave you a recommendation on how to heal arthritis, you would walk out of the doctor with nothing. Because then you have options. Then you will go on yourself and find something. And at the end of the day, if you find nothing, you will still be sitting Mm -hmm. with arthritis. 
the Constitution is very clear that I should take appropriate remedial action. And then appropriateness means the discretion lies with me regarding what is appropriate. Incidentally, most ombudsmen institutions in Europe only have the power to issue recommendations. But you still don't get the debates that you're getting in this country. Even though they have the power to issue recommendations, it's just understood that state implements. On occasion where the state has not implemented, and as happened in the UK some years ago, the court found in favor of the ombudsman and the complainant and said, um, the state has to implement unless it can be proven that the decision of the ombudsman is irrational, meaning that a, a different ombudsman faced with the same situation and the same circumstances would have arrived at a more reasonable decision. You, you say that uh, unlike South Africa, a great deal more of uh, countries outside of it are, are empowered to issue recommendations, yet they have less debate. Why do you think that is? Tradition, respect for conventions. We, we, we had the 100th, uh, 50th year anniversary of the New Zealand Ombudsman um, last year, June. And one of the things that was discussed there was the issue of um, why things are the way they are. And basically, the issue was, in fact, it wasn't last year, June, it was, um, it was the end of last year, it was November last year. The issue was they had established a convention to implement. And at that conference, then, the, the, the New Zealand Ombudsman told us about a situation where a new law was created, uh, something similar to PIA, our Protection of Access to Information Act. And then that law gave government an option uh, the same thing again. It was recommendations, and and meaning if it's a recommendations, and then government had an option to implement or not to implement. Then people chose not to implement. Meaning when there's an opportunity not to implement, they chose mm-hmm. not to implement. Eventually, they changed the law because the idea is that, as I said, the idea is to remedy the situation, is not to decorate the situation. Uh, New Zealand then changed the law to say yes, it's still going to be recommendations, but if the state chooses not to implement. It will be the duty of the state to find to fund the complainant to take the state on review for failure to implement. And they said after that amendment was made, nobody then questioned. Nobody continued not to implement. Well, let's uh, talk a little further with the public protector about. Uh, what are some of the challenges that her officers face? And if you're talking about good governance, does the state have the capacity, the skills, the knowledge to implement some of this? And what are the integrity systems that are in place? 891 you can give us a call, engage with her, 891 SMS us on 34701, 34701. It will cost you two rand per SMS. Our Twitter handle at AMLive on SAFM. Congratulations, Mrs. Abrams. You are now a homeowner. Yes, I am. We'll host dinner parties. Or we'll get dogs. But what if they take up the garden and uncover something? Like an ancient burial ground. And the ghosts keep knocking our vases over. Um, uh, sorry, ma'am. Um, here's the front door key. Life changes. So why not get the first ever life insurance that changes as your life does? Love change. Go to brightrock.co.za or speak to your financial advisor. Brightrock, underwritten by Lombard Life as an authorized financial services provider. We don't know how many times your family will get sick this year. 
We don't know if there'll be mumps or measles or the flu that came home from Little Sunshine Nursery School. We don't know that. But we do know that you shouldn't wonder whether they're sick enough to see a doctor. And you shouldn't think twice just because it's October and that flu in May has wiped out your savings. That's why the traditional options from Liberty Medical Scheme have no self-payment gap. No, we don't know how many times your family will get sick this year, but we do know how to help you afford it all year long. To give your family the Liberty Advantage, visit libmed.co.za or speak to your financial advisor. Ask her. She'll know. Liberty. The advantage of knowing. Liberty is an authorized financial services provider. T's and C's apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 24 minutes past eight, we're in conversation with the public protector advocate Tuli Madonzel. And of course, you're welcome uh, to uh, talk to her as well, ask her questions. We're talking about good governance, and the question we're asking, can or should good governance be everyone's business? This ahead of uh, the National Good Governance Week, week, which kicks off on Monday. And... uh, the theme that they'll be looking at is uh, pretty much as we're asking whether or not it's everyone's business, the issue of good governance. So give us a call on 0891-104-208. We're on the line now to independent political analyst Ralph Matecha. A very good morning to you, Mr. Matecha. Uh, what, what are your thoughts around the issue of good governance, especially in South Africa, the state of it? Can we talk about a country that has entrenched it in all of its governance systems? Good morning, Tabisa, and good morning to the public protector. Um, I think that uh, where we are, my observation, uh, according to my observation, where we are, we, we have a regulatory regime that is trying to enforce the culture of accountability and the culture of good governance. But I think that uh, what, what, what is lacking, and I think is probably gradually developing, I wouldn't state at what stage we are, but I think we still lacking. It is the culture uh, of personnel, the culture of individuals that is shown in the way in which the, uh, the institutions operate. Uh, you still have, uh, I think, individuals who view accountability not as an essential component of uh, being a public servant. It's being seen as uh, some kind of a nuisance. It's like uh, you're disturbing us from doing our job with this regime of accountability. So even if you have these institutions that are there trying by all means to enforce the culture, you still have that suspicion which I think is demonstrated in our institution. In most cases, actually, in South Africa, when people are asking for documents to be made available, reports to be made available, it's as if people have to justify why they need that to be available. The the operating kind of uh, idea seems to be that uh, you will get that on a need-to-know basis kind of an approach. And I think it demonstrates that we don't really believe in it as a value in itself. And I, I hope that we get to that point where we believe in good governance, we believe in accountability. But at this point, where you see compliance, you still have an element of malicious compliance. Let's just take and do it. We have not really instilled it as a value in our democracy. In our right. democracy. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Ralph Matecha is uh, an independent political analyst. Well, you're welcome to join in on the conversation as well. Eddie in Edenvale, you want to know how long the public protector's term is. Good morning. Uh, first, we would like to 
thank Madam uh, Advocate Madam Stella for all the wonderful work she, she she's done, and uh, it, it gives one great uh, confidence for the future of this young democracy with wonderful people like her. But this, but that was my uh, my question: Has she got a fixed term of office, and if if so, how long has it got to go? And the, the second part of the question is. Uh, uh, is it uh, the sole discretion of the president to select the uh, public protector or parliament? Because once Madam Madam Seller goes, I think they're going to be very careful of who they select. Thank you very much. I'll listen yes. on the radio. Thanks, Eddie uh, Tami in Santon. Good morning to you, Tami. You with us? Okay, I'm going to see if Tapo's on the line. Tapo. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. How are you? Is this Tepo? I'm thanks. Tepo, yes. Hi, Tepo. Hi, how are you, public protector? I'm well, Tepo. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I've got one quick question, a tricky question. You are about to to release the report soon. And and I'm assuming, it's an honest assumption that when the report comes and shows that everything was above board, how are you going to handle the criticism from the DA? Because one thing they're going to say, they will tell you that there was political meddling, because the expectation is that that report should be damning. So I'm assuming, what if it comes and it's, it's everything seems to be above board? How are you going to handle the DA? Tapo, just, just, to, just to be clear, sorry, there was a bit of uh, interruption there. Did you say the Ngandla report? Yes. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, get that answer for you from the public protector. Johnny in Port Elizabeth. Hi, hi, Tepiso. Hi, Johnny. Yes, uh, you, you know, uh, when you look at uh, the regime that uh, we are busy with, people are still complaining when we are looking at mere compliance, whereas uh, we should be talking performance, you know, because uh, uh, the auditor general, when he audits, he just audits compliance. Have you complied? He's not looking at uh, the performance, actually. What value have you added? And people still complain. I don't know. By the time we move to, you know, uh, performance mm. compliance, no, what think. is going to happen? Thank you so much for that, Johnny. We're going to get responses from the public protector. We do have to update the news headlines now. It is 8.30. Fabachni Chetty has those details, and Rob Byrne will follow with the traffic update. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's 23 minutes to 9, continuing with our conversation with the public protector. Of course, you can call in if you have a question for her, 0891-104-208. Can or should good governance be everyone's business? This is a question we're asking. We had uh, some calls earlier on. I'm going to read some SMSs before I come back to you, public protector, to get you to answer perhaps some of the questions. Um, Tulani Nguenya on Twitter says, can the Honourable Public Protector divulge more about the 21 million rand irregular expenditure at her office. This annoys us as her office should do better. Uh, what's good governance without political will and the rule of law? Nighty Tina says, isn't the public protector worried that a trap is being set for her? The DA asked her to investigate only to question her why she is investigating. Spew and KZN writes, what should we do uh, we cannot get response from the public protector. It's it's outside, and I'm not sure what you're talking about. So if you can add further detail, please do. 
I'm a conservative white male and I would be so proud and happy if you were our president, you're an iron lady and we respect you, not find either. Data writes, good governance should be everybody's duty. I worked as a teacher in 2012 at an Eastern Cape school, but no pay up to now. Joe N. Rumfontein says, how far is the public predictor about the cases of land stolen prior to 1994, which you once confirmed to be millions, if not billions, of rands? Well, I'm going to get to the other SMSs, but uh, if I could get you to answer, let's get the SMSs. Uh, A. Tulaningwenya says, the issue of uh, 21 million rand irregular expenditure in your office, how do you respond to that? Thank you, uh, uh, So I'm glad to learn that you're giving me that opportunity because that was totally misunderstood. The amount that we declared to Parliament relates to fruitless and wasteful expenditure, uh, which concerns our case management system. This system was bought in 2008, meant to be case management. When I came uh, in, my first appearance before SCOPA, my first and only appearance before SCOPA in the last four years was about that issue. Already the Auditor General had declared it, uh, that the process of procurement was improper. What we've done now, we've impaired the system because we've tried to rehabilitate it for four years. It couldn't be rehabilitated because it became a data capturing system, whereas we needed it to be a case management system mm -hmm. to manage the whole cases from beginning to end. Now, we had to do this very strange thing of if, you, if we decide that the, 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 um, the, 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 the asset we procured was flawed from the beginning, uh, the Auditor General then says it's fruitless and wasteful expenditure. I wouldn't say it's fruitless and wasteful expenditure because it did capture data. But the Auditor General's approach is that if it never was ready to do what it was supposed to do from day one, then it was fruitless and wasteful expenditure. That's the decision then we made with the advice of the Auditor General. Okay. Now, um, let's, let's go back to Tapo's question. Tapo wants to know, then Gandla report, how would you handle it should it... Uh, prove that everything was above board and as he says as he makes that assumption how will you deal with the criticism in case you are accused of or I, I, in case the accusation is that there was political interference as would be the case he says if uh, something like this is considered above board and perhaps you could tell us just how far you are with that investigation because the last time I think you said something was in September Yes, um, thank you again, So the, the investigation was concluded a while ago. We were waiting for information which we got at the be beginning of this month. We have integrated that information in the process. There was a bit of um, uh, answers that we needed um, uh, more information on, and then we requested that. We still think we will be able to give the provisional report to the parties by the end of this month, which is end of next week or the beginning of the following week. And would you be in a position to publicise the contents of that report? 
The final report, yes, will go public because the constitution says a report of the public protector must be made public unless there are exceptional circumstances and, and then it also indicates that circumstances, exceptional circumstances should be as regulated by law. We've looked, there isn't any law that says this particular report should be secret from our side, but mm-hmm. we're still going to engage with government. Um, the, the question that Tepo has raised is a very valid one, and thank you, Tepo, for raising that that um, that question, and and because it prepares the public in advance for the fact that what is alleged is not always what is found. If you think X did something wrong, when we investigate, we found that X didn't do something wrong. We say so. We will handle this thing the way we handled the Western Cape tender. You will recall that there was a huge hoo who on the Western Cape tender. When we investigated, there really was no wrongdoing. In the end, all we found was the only thing that they did wrong was they were not meticulous enough to be able to do it in one round, so they had to end up doing it in the round. So the only irregularity we found was really the fact that they, they, they were not as perfect as they should be, which in reality, people in the public service are really perfect. And we found that, um, therefore, the, most of it was done properly, and we would have preferred that they did it properly in the first round. And because they didn't do it properly in the first round, they lost 8,000 rand. And, and we have handled it. There's still people who think that we, we, uh, we treated that matter with kids' gloves, from us, we actually think it was one of the most thorough investigations precisely because there was too much public opinion on it. Just how much does public perception of political pressure impact on the work that you do and the outcome? We try not to to, to, to be concerned about that. When I write a report, because the reports are written by me, although my staff helps prepare the first draft, the final report, I write a report primarily for the parties, the two people, which would be the person who complained in the respondent institution. And the report is then also written for the implementing public authorities, the ones I have to convince or persuade those that have to implement. And then thirdly, then I write for the general public to understand how I arrived at the decision. What was the regulatory framework? What were the actions taken? Was there a discrepancy between the rules and what happened? And why Mm -hmm. am I saying that the remedy should be the remedy that I am indicating? Okay, now let's talk about... um, There is another issue I want to raise in line with what you're raising, but perhaps I'll, I'll leave that for just a little bit later. But questions from Eddie and Johnny. Johnny wants to know... Johnny makes the point that the Auditor General looks at compliance and not performance, and this is in line with what we're discussing, good governance. And, and he's saying, is that not problematic? Johnny, you are telling the truth that that's what the Auditor General used to do. But no, they now look at performance. The reason, for example, Parliament had an issue with me on Tuesday was that when it comes to performance, we performed at 76% because we set our targets too high, considering that we only have 300 people in the establishment as a whole and only half of them are investigators. So the Auditor General says, if you say you are going to do 100 things, please do 100 things, or at least 
the margin between what you set out to do and what you did should be very narrow. So they do look at performance, perhaps not fully joining the way you would like them to do, but they are aware of that and they're increasingly moving into that space. Perhaps what... um, a journey probably wants though is that beyond compliance even with your own because the auditor general is still just only going to look at the fact that you complied with your own strategic plan without looking at the broader government policies if you take municipalities for example the essential work of municipalities is to provide basic services so if you audit for example you would probably need to ask before you changed street names did you meet basic needs which was making sure that there are roads that are functional, there were lights, there, were, um, there was a electricity for indigent people, there was water for indigent people, because Section 237 of the Constitution requires that constitutional responsibilities should be given priority. But are there integrity systems in place, especially at municipalities, to ensure that? There are supposed to be integrity systems in place. Let's start with, let's start with the law. We have the constitution uh, uh, that spells out the quality of public uh, uh, service uh, delivery, which is the character of the public services, is chapter 10 of the constitution or section 195. And then we have the Municipal Finances Act, MFMA, which talks to how the finances and resources should be managed and their accountabilities. And then the Municipal Systems Act, um, it, it, it really drives how, who should do what. However, at a local level, then they are required to, to draw up their own policies and then to enforce those policies. What we have discovered is that some municipalities don't have capacity to create their own policies or to understand those policies. And we have now set up a dialogue with SALGA to assist municipalities to have a policy toolkit and then to be trained on policy compliance and on prioritization. Because often they do have the IDP, that's part of the system, that is the the integrated development. They create an integrated development plan and then they budget according to it. But then something comes up that is more fancy and and it takes the resources in that direction. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to um, Eddie's question in just a moment, but the issue of skills and capacity in order to ensure good governance throughout your investigations, what have been the general findings? We have found that it is a major problem. Uh, let me talk about three municipalities where we did systemic investigations. We did Dipaliseng a while ago. We found that a whole lot of the collapse in service delivery that had led to violent public protest had to do with the fact that some of the people did not have the correct skills, the municipal manager. The mayor himself needed a, a assistance with leadership and, uh, and uh, management and controls. The finance people the HR people had problems, the procurement people were not at the place. So we assisted them to to understand things and to procure the right people. We did recently NALA, where there was systemic service failure, including the failure to check uh, whether a, a contractor had done what it had contracted to do before you pay them, and which led to systemic service failure and loss of 
hundreds of millions of friends and again there were capacity issues there one of the capacity issues is the issue of engineers where there's construction if you send somebody like me who is not an engineer to go and say did they do the right thing you will rely on them saying they did the yes. right thing and you teach so you need an engineer so in municipalities it's usually skills around engineering uh, finance procurement hr and then the leadership. And they're struggling to retain people, especially the smaller municipalities, because the positions there are not paid at the same level as the bigger municipalities. So they're faced with two problems. The fact that professionals generally don't want to live in the rural areas. They want the urban areas because it's closer to everything modern. And then secondly, the salaries are lower. Ralph Matacha, when we spoke to him earlier on, spoke about uh, the regulatory regime, how people are not really ingesting that into their daily regime and that you find that agencies have to uh, justify the doing their work, saying that there was malicious compliance. And it, it takes me back to your theme of ethical leadership, which you involved in your good governance uh, workshop last year. How much of that is a problem? Because I think a lot of people, when you talk of good governance, a lot of what comes up in their mind is the issue of corruption, which they see as widespread in South Africa. Thank you. Um, so, Ralph, you are right. I mean, Ralph is right that in some instances there is that culture that um, is anti-compliance and anti-accountability. Part of the problem we tackled at one of our good governance conferences uh, I think it was year, the year before last year when we dealt with that accountability was that you not account, accountability is not hierarchical and I'm taking this platform to engage with a member of parliament who said accountability is hierarchical not always and that's, that's where the problem lies is that people think you can only answer to me if I'm your boss if you look at the way our checks and balances system is built in South Africa and globally, it's multiple accountabilities. When an ordinary grandmother, Lamini, comes and says to, to you, uh, I asked for this service and you haven't provided it to me, why? You're accountable to grandmother, Lamini. And when grandmother, Lamini says, I want somebody in charge, People don't want that. I had a nurse that I was calling one day, and, and I said, oh, can I speak to the person in charge? She started speaking in, in Sutu and said, Babata in charge, Babata in charge. Like, you know, I had done something criminal. And then she was gossiping about me in Sutu because I'd spoken in English, so she assumed I don't speak Sutu. But, but at the core of that was that she didn't want to be held accountable. She had given me an answer that I knew was incorrect, but I, I not, now wanted to check it with somebody in charge to say, is it really right? So people have that culture that an ethical leadership then allows people to firstly understand that right doing, doing right things should come internally. So ethical leadership is inside out. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because you're going to be found mm -hmm. doing it. I listened to Oprah yesterday talking to young girls, and, and that's what she was trying to build at the core of those young, young people from her academy to say, try to consistently do the right thing, even if no one is watching, especially if no one is watching. You see, if then we, we build a core of ethical leadership, 
accountability comes naturally because if I know I did what was a, uh, I was supposed to do or I tried to do what I was supposed to do, you then account to the next person without difficulties because all you have to do is just to take them through what you did okay. and why you did what you did. Let me protect a quick, a quick one. In a word, uh, or a few words, uh, Eddie wanted to know your term, how long is it and how far in your tour are you? It's a seven-year term. It's non-renewable, Eddie, and it's a good thing that it's non-renewable. I have done exactly four years on Tuesday. Uh, it was my fourth anniversary, so I'm on my way out now. Okay. 891 We're taking more of your calls. Give us a call on this number, 34701. Got lots of SMSs to go through. I'm going to try and read them all. Thanks to Telcom Business, I can start my next business venture with confidence because from the get-go, I'll have fast uncapped ADSL.coza domain registration, hosting with storage and email. Yep, that's going to be the next big thing, only bigger. Just as soon as I figure out what the next venture is going to be. Get an uncapped deal from Telcom Business and get your business going for the promotional price of $3.99 a month. Call 102.13, visit telcomshop.coza or go to a Telcom store. T's and C's apply. Rethink uncapped. Telcom Business. Gas Tech 2013, South Africa's premier annual ICT government conference, will explore the myriad of ways in which emerging technologies like cloud computing, mobile devices, and social media can be deployed to improve service delivery across all spheres of government. Join Morning Talk at the Cape Town International Convention Center from the 20th until the 23rd of October as we share ideas to enable the support for implementation of the public sector ICT agenda. Register at www.govtech.co.za. ICT Innovation, technology for a 21st century government. Brought to you by CETA in partnership with the Ministry of Public Service and Administration. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. So much to talk about and yet so little time. So unfortunate. I'm going to read some SMSs. Tammy, Thomas, Vincent, I'm coming to you in just a moment. If I could just make an appeal that you could be as brief as possible. I've got so many SMSs. Uh, JPE writes, can there be good governance when the executive appoints the chief justice, commissioner of police, head of NPA, etc.? Sign in East London, what a remarkable person. I admire her work ethic and calm manner. Congratulations to the public protector and the sterling work she does. It's not fine. What is the PP's view on the appearance of impropriety as one principle that should govern the actions of public representatives? Mangkhani in Dubai says, Honorable Matonzala, thank you for doing your job without fear or favor. God bless you. Joe in Aberdeen says, Tuli, we, the honest people of this country, love and fully support you in what you are doing. Stand fast as always for the truth. God bless. Tony says, thank you for your loyalty towards your work. Tower says, most public service employees support your efforts. And Nobezita in Pretoria says, the problem with the public protector is her integrity is compromised with a link to the DA, print media, and her anti-government and anti ANC stance. I get you to answer that, public protector. Tami Sanson, a very good morning to you. Uh, if I could ask that you be brief, please. Okay. Thank you uh, to the public protector for the great work. She's a model for for all of us as South Africans. My question really is, how do we avoid uh, the mandarins usurping the power of the elected representatives? More specifically, 
what can a government do if they disagree with her finding? I noticed that she disagreed with the with the auditor general. And so what can they do if they disagree with her finding? Particularly because the cultural majority, Oprimashitko speaks about, thinks that most of the South Africans have voted wrong. So how can we avoid an okay. instance where democracy is indirectly usurped by the mandarins? Thanks, Tammy. Thomas and Nigel, good morning. Uh, good morning. I just asked a question from the public prosecutor, please. Yes, uh, if you can. Yes, congratulations for, to the public prosecutor for the good work he is doing. I just want to find out, as a public protector, do you perhaps get a complaint from members of the public? And uh, if you don't get them, what are you doing to encourage them to bring them? The reason why I'm asking this question is that I've got a case that has been tracking for 2011 until I gave up. And then last December, one of the investigators told me that uh, he ignored that case purposely because I appealed to CEO. So he wanted to, 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 to find out what the CEO will be doing. So, yeah, that is my complaint. Okay, Thomas, if you need to give us more detail, uh, we're going to take your details down. Perhaps you can engage with the Public Protector's Office. Vincent in Midrand, apologies, I know I'm rushing you, but if I could ask you to please be brief. Vincent? Hello. Hi, Vincent. Yes, um, hi. I basically have a, a concern as a, as a ordinary man. I've got two cases that I want to contrast and ask the opinion of the public protector on it. One is the Sandra case, we fully aware of the details. And the two is this collision of the construction, which also had an effect onto the toll suspension in thing. But I, I, I found that the integrity of going down to it and giving us the information and details has okay. not come forth as it would do within Kanda. And yet it is billions that have gone down the thing. So can we get from the public person what is this that is being done about and whether we still will get any of the information on that. that Thanks, Vincent. Fortunately, I'm I'm trying to get everybody's point of view in, and and that's why we're running out of time. Public protector, we have really run out of time. But I'd ask you to please answer, Vincent. Are you you fair in the manner which you deal with cases and uh, do ordinary people get the chance to come to you directly, lay complaints? And uh, Tommy wanted to know, what do you do if uh, the government, uh, if you disagree with government uh, on, on certain issues? Thank you, Tommy. Let me just say that we do our best to be fair. We can't claim to be the most fair organization on, on the surface of the earth. We can guarantee the people of South Africa that we do our best to be fair. And secondly, I write my reports in a manner that allows for maximum transparency and accountability because you can see how I reasoned. If there's any flaw in the way I reasoned, you can challenge it when you read my report. Um, on the question of how we deal with, and then you, you, one of you said that I'm loyal to the DA, I think it was Tammy, and... and it was one of the SMSs, yes. Yes, no, loyal to the DA and not to the ANC. That is really sad because uh, I am not loyal to the DA. If you know, basically, for example, on Tuesday, the only person who was angry with me in that parliament was a DA person. The other people calmly uh, questioned the way I do business. But there was one person who was very, very angry with me for whatever reason, but 
her starting point was that I made a finding against the DA. And, um, so you're not biased. Okay. I'm not. Yes. Unfortunately, public protector, we have run out of time. Perhaps this means that we should invite you back into the studio again to chat to us. And uh, we will follow up on that good governance uh, conference that kicks off next week. But thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Just to say one small thing is that the, the prayer thing, the interfaith thing has moved now from the uh, Anglican Cathedral in Pretoria is now at Freedom Park because the other faiths complained about holding the prayer in the cathedral. So we'll be in Freedom Park then on Thursday. All right. Thank you very much. That is the Public Protector Advocate Tuli Madonzal. It is a minute minute past nine. Your news now with Fabachni Chetty, followed by Rowena Bird with Morning Talk. From us here at AM Live, thank you very much for listening. Your calls, SMSs, tweets, etc. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Goodbye. Following fierce rivalry between the NUM and AMCU. However, police say at this stage they cannot say whether the latest murder of an NUM member is related to rivalry. Provincial Police Spokesperson Tulani Ngubane. Part of what we intend doing is also going direct to that community and see how can we sit down together with them and the police and agree on how they can really assist because safety in any neighborhood number one it's the community that must take take charge of their safety secondly then they must work together with the police unfortunately you can't have the policemen in every corner and in every street the children's institute at the university of cape town says society should pause and reflect on how it's doing to ensure that children are protected this after the bodies of two toddlers were found in a public toilet cubicle in deep Sloot, north of johannesburg on tuesday meanwhile post-mortem results are expected to be released today on the two toddlers found dead in an old building near zonkey